The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by the Association of American Railroads. New technology creates a smarter and safer freight rail network that is ready to meet the needs of tomorrow. Visit AAR.org. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, October 21st. In today's news... Kurdish fighters withdraw from a key border town as the tenuous ceasefire continues. Nancy Pelosi makes a surprise visit to Afghanistan. And Elizabeth Warren promises to reveal how she'll pay for Medicare for All in the next few weeks. But first, the big idea. President Trump was forced to abandon his decision to host next year's Group of Seven Summit at his private golf club in Florida, after it became clear the move had alienated key Republicans and given Democrats fodder for another possible article of impeachment. Trump blamed his G7 reversal on critics, but behind closed doors, several top aides and allies say he changed his mind in response to pressure and frustration from his own party. In a round of phone calls with conservative allies over the weekend, Trump was told Republicans are struggling to defend him on so many different fronts that he shouldn't add any more, according to an administration official who spoke with the president. The president was told repeatedly that his G7 decision made it more difficult to keep Senate Republicans in a unified front against impeachment proceedings. Democrats, meanwhile, continued to blast Trump for awarding a massive government contract to his own company and said they might add the alleged emoluments clause violation to the articles of impeachment they're writing up. Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney made matters worse last Thursday when he held a news conference to defend the G7 decision, but he ended up confessing that Trump held up nearly $400 million in aid to push Ukraine to investigate Democrats. When a journalist followed up, saying that Mulvaney seemed to be describing a quid pro quo, Mulvaney replied, quote, We do that all the time with foreign policy. On Fox News Sunday, Mulvaney expressed regret about how he handled the two issues, the $400 million in aid, and the G7 decision during the news conference, and he denied there was any quid pro quo. But Mulvaney's acknowledgement of a mistake comes as Trump has been privately expressing displeasure with his acting chief of staff's job and as some White House officials are seeking to replace him, including reportedly presidential son-in-law Jared Kushner. Several officials say Trump's aides and allies are considering various options for a new chief of staff, and some are being reached out to. Mulvaney may have further damaged his standing with Trump by saying during his Fox interview that the president still considers himself at heart to be in the hospitality business. While several Trump allies said that comment is indeed accurate, they say it was a bad idea for Mulvaney to say it publicly because it will annoy the president. Other top Republicans, including Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, have begun to distance themselves from Mulvaney as well. In the month since Democrats announced their impeachment inquiry, it's been exactly a month now, Republicans have struggled to offer a coherent response. With no White House war room, GOP lawmakers have seized on process-related responses. At the same time, they're being asked to defend the president's erratic approach to policymaking, including his abrupt decision to withdraw U.S. troops and abandon Kurdish allies in Syria. Privately, and occasionally in public, Several Republicans say they're not prepared to defend the president from charges that he was engaged in self-dealing vis-a-vis the G7 site selection. 
Congressman Francis Rooney, a Republican from Florida, said Friday afternoon that Trump should avoid even the appearance of impropriety that comes with holding a global summit at his private property. He said Trump should cancel the G7. The next day, Rooney announced his retirement, facing backlash from Trump supporters. But he also said that he is considering backing Trump's impeachment over the president's handling of Ukraine policy. And Senator Mitt Romney, the Republican from Utah, told The Atlantic magazine for a new profile that he's been reviewing the Federalist Papers and brushing up on parliamentary procedure in preparation for the Senate's likely impeachment trial. The 2012 GOP nominee for president says the next few weeks are almost certain to be what he calls an inflection point in American history. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Kurdish fighters in northeastern Syria withdrew from the flashpoint city on Sunday of Ras Ain as part of a ceasefire agreement with Turkey, a move that could ease tensions amid U.S.-led efforts to quell the spiraling conflict. Defense Secretary Mark Esper says the ceasefire generally seems to be holding despite reports of intermittent fire, his words. He said the U.S. withdrawal is proceeding as planned and that it will be a matter of weeks. Turkish President Recep Erdogan had threatened to resume his military offensive in northeastern Syria if Kurdish fighters didn't retreat from designated border areas by Tuesday evening, the deadline that Mike Pence negotiated. A spokesman for the Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces says they're keeping their end of the bargain, but they're also accusing the Turks of committing ethnic cleansing. Turkey says Sunday that it's monitoring the evacuation of Kurdish militants it views as terrorists, though they've been vital American partners in the fight against ISIS. The Turkish Defense Ministry said Sunday that it sent a 55-vehicle convoy to Ras Ain. The ministry said a Turkish soldier was killed in an attack by Kurdish militants about 75 miles to the west. Esper, the U.S. Defense Secretary, says that American troops are moving from Syria into western Iraq, where they will have two missions. One is to help defend Iraq, and the second will be to perform counter-ISIS missions in Syria. But, he said, things may change and the conversations are fluid. Trump has said repeatedly that he wants to extract the U.S. from what he calls the endless wars in the Middle East, but the decision to move the U.S. forces from Syria just across the border into Iraq highlights the challenges of reaching that goal. The administration has also sent thousands of additional troops to the region since the spring. In fact, the Pentagon said earlier this month that 1,800 troops will deploy to Saudi Arabia to deter Iran. Number two, speaking of the Middle East, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi led an unannounced congressional visit to Afghanistan and Jordan over the weekend. In Afghanistan, the delegation met with Afghan President Ashraf Ghani, Chief Executive Abdullah Abdullah, Defense Secretary Esper, top U.S. military commanders and diplomats, as well as senior Afghan government officials and civil society leaders and U.S. troops. After meeting with King Abdullah II and senior Jordanian officials in the middle of the night on Saturday, Pelosi said that they talked about the deepening crisis in Syria after the Turkey invasion. She said that the Jordanians are worried about the increased flow of refugees and the opening that it's been creating for ISIS, Iran, and Russia. Jordan has been a stalwart U.S. ally as well. Pelosi earlier called the ceasefire deal a sham that gave a pass to Turkey's offensive at the expense of the Kurds. Mac Thornberry, a Republican congressman from Texas who sits on the Armed Services Committee and is retiring, joined Pelosi for the trip, along with eight other Democrats. Ford Affairs Committee Chairman Elliot Engel and Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff were on the trip. 
Pelosi's visit to Afghanistan is her first time since she was elected speaker earlier this year. She had planned to go in January, but was forced to cancel after Trump denied her the use of a military aircraft during the government shutdown. Pelosi's backup plan was to fly commercially, but that was deemed too dangerous. While Pelosi was on the trip this weekend, her brother, Thomas de Alessandro III, died October 20th at his home in Baltimore. He was 90. The cause was complications from a stroke. Number three, Mayor Pete Buttigieg of South Bend, Indiana, has spiked to within striking distance of former Vice President Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren in Iowa. That's according to a new Suffolk University USA Today poll conducted after last week's debate and released this morning. It shows Iowa is fluid and very much up for grabs. Biden's at 18%, Warren's at 17%, and Buttigieg is now at 13% among likely Democratic caucus goers. These standings reflect significant changes since the same poll was conducted this summer. That poll showed Biden leading Warren by double digits and Buttigieg trailing at a distant 6%. Kamala Harris, who was back then in second place, has plummeted 13 points and is now in a three-way tie for sixth. Bernie Sanders gets 9% in this poll, the same number as in June. In Queens, on Saturday afternoon, an estimated 26,000 people came out to see Sanders stump with Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It was the biggest Democratic rally of the campaign so far, and Bernie's first rally since his October 1st heart attack, after which he had two stents inserted into a blocked artery in a Las Vegas hospital. Warren said last night at a town hall in Des Moines that she will release a plan soon for how she's going to pay for her Medicare for All proposal. She's continuing to deflect questions about whether middle-class taxes would rise. The lag in unveiling any kind of pay-for plan speaks to the difficult position Warren finds herself in. She can either offer some kind of large tax on the wealthy over and above what she's already proposing, her 2% wealth tax, or she can be pegged as evasive about a central element of her platform. Both carry political risks. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, October 21st. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. Have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.